room. You know, our uh, task in worship on Sundays is not to just give our attention to God, but to also give our attention to one another. So before we move forward with the sermon, those of you in the room, just a joy to see you all here. I'd like you to make just eye contact with about three different people in the room and just welcome each other, wave, say hello. Eye contact with three people in the room here. There we go. We want to recognize each other's presence in this place. Those of you on online, on Facebook, on newlife.nyc, on our YouTube, it is a joy to have you with us. And uh, my name is Rich. If you are new to our congregation, I'm the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship Church. And uh, it is uh, a gift to uh, be in worship with you again. Uh, I want to just let you know, at the end of our service, I'm usually, I know we are exiting, for those of you in this room, exiting in different places. But I'm usually in the front porch there while the weather is nice. And uh, I'd love to connect with you outside just for a quick, even if it's just a a quick goodbye, we'd love to just see uh, your faces before you head out. So I'll be outside, and I think one of our pastors will be outside on this side as well. So uh, just would love to connect with you before you head out. Well, we are in our final sermon in this series on God, politics, and the church. And as I uh, mentioned last week, this sermon was uh, written... Uh, before the election results, before, the, before last Tuesday, this was already uh, written because I believe that whoever is leading the country, it doesn't change the mission of the church. Say amen, somebody. This does not change the mission of the church. And that mission is that the church would be a colony of the kingdom of God, that people should be able to look at our community and say, you are not from this world. You have a different accent. You have different priorities that we are not to be shaped. We are to be in the world, but not be of the world. And so uh, we just need to uh, recognize our distinct identity as the people of God, as a colony of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. I also need to pause for a moment to say something out loud that I said on social media uh, yesterday. Uh, As I've been preaching over the past few weeks, I've mentioned that no matter who won, there were going to be many in our congregation who are going to be relieved and many in our congregation who are going to be grieved, no matter who won the election. And for those of you who are watching this right now, whether in the room or online, who are grieved, I just need to let you know that I see you. I see your own disorientation. I see your own frustration. I see you have a particular vision of how the world flourishes. And to see someone get elected that you didn't support puts that vision into question. And you're grieved. And I see you. At the same time, for those of you who are relieved, I see you. I see you and the joy and the exuberance and what you believe is contributing to the world moving in a particular direction. And so whether you're grieved or whether you are relieved, I see you. At the same time with all that, as a community of followers of Jesus Christ, my hope is that we are marked profoundly by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would be committed to listening deeply, praying fervently, speaking the truth courageously, and hoping endlessly. That that is who we are called to be as the people of God. And that we would pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Christ is the one where our allegiance stands. And we must be reminded of that over and over again. Christ and the way of his kingdom. And so with that, I want to close this series on a text that I believe is critical 
for the next season that we're in in our country and as a congregation. And the election results have demonstrated that the world is polarized, that the church is divided, that this country remains deeply fragmented from one another. And so it is with that reality that's before us that I want to look at a particular passage of Scripture out of Ephesians chapter 6. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our text for today as we close this series on God, politics, and the church. And the title of this message is Standing Against the Powers. Standing Against the Powers. Let's pray together. Lord, open our eyes that we may see what you want us to see. And open our ears that we may hear what you want us to hear. And open our hearts that we would receive every gift of the Holy Spirit this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. In the days before we purchased this building, on Saturday nights, there used to be wrestling matches. Are you aware of that? Wrestling matches. I want to show you a picture of what used to happen in our sanctuary before we purchased this building. Wrestling matches. On Saturday night, a thousand or so plus people, we should probably only have 600 in here, but a thousand or so plus people used to cram in here, drunk, beer all over the place. That's what we would have to clean afterwards because we used to worship on Sunday morning after this happened on Saturday night. And many of these matches are actually on YouTube for those of you who are curious just go to YouTube and, and type in the Elks Lodge, and you'll see all the wrestling that took place in this room. Now, as I thought about this image and thought about our history as a church as it pertains to this place, I thought about the particular moment we are in as a church and as a nation. And the reason I thought about it is this. We might not be wrestling on Saturday night anymore, but we are indeed still called to wrestle on Sunday morning. We might not be wrestling with wrestlers, but we are called to wrestle with what Paul says against powers and principalities. We are wrestling. One of my favorite uh, books is written by the great C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters in which he uh, talked about the powers of demons and devils in the world. And at the beginning of the book, he, the book is about an, an uncle uh, a demon uh, giving his nephew demon advice as to how to tempt Christians. And Lewis, at the introduction, says these words about how we often look at spiritual forces. He says there are two equal and opposite errors in which humans can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They, the devils, th themselves are equally pleased by both errors. 
Time and time again, we find in the Bible that there is an enemy of our souls, an enemy in this world, an enemy that is against everything that is of God. And so in Ephesians 6, Paul is giving language to the kind of spiritual power that's at work in the world. And Paul, what he does is is helps us to understand the complex nature of the ways that these demonic powers find themselves active in the world. In the biblical view, this word powers and principalities are both invisible and visible, heavenly and earthly, spiritual and institutional. And so when Paul talks about powers and principalities in the passage we just read, he's not just talking about demons, disembodied spirits, but the way that demonic powers are often embodied in the structures of human life. When you look at the horrors of the world, from child abuse to genocide, from racist ideology to terrorism, from addictions to exploitative capitalism, The powers and principalities are pervasive in our world. And so powers and principalities can be governments and corporations and churches and denominations and educational institutions and cities and entire nations. Powers and principalities in the very structures of our world. Now, this doesn't mean that all the powers are bad. There are many powers that do good in the world. Powers can do good or do evil. They can contribute to the flourishing of the world or they could wreak havoc in the world. But when Paul talks about Ephesians 6, he's talking about the particular fallen powers that are active in our world. And the demonic powers in our world have two goals in mind. The first goal is that the demonic powers of our world would have us be cut off from Jesus and from our neighbor. Disconnection. And the second goal of demonic powers is that we will live our lives violently in the world. Disconnection and violence. Those are the two goals of powers and principalities in our world. And many of us have experienced this. Many of us have experienced a profound level of disconnection from people who we love. People who we've grown up with. People who we've lived next to or in the same house with. And because of the pervasive divisiveness and hostility that's happening in the world, we have been prone to being cut off from people or just cut off from Jesus and the way of his kingdom. We feel this in our bones. We feel this every time we log on to social media. We feel this when we get into conversations with people who see things differently than we do. The evil powers would have us be cut off from Jesus and the way of his kingdom or cut off from people. Or the evil powers will have us succumb to violence. And violence is not just in the physical acts that we give ourselves to in this world. Violence can be expressed in the words that we speak, in the postures that we hold, in the policies that we support, in which a dehumanization takes place through the the powers and principalities that that exist in this world. And we feel it. And we are also often complicit in it. And so whether we're talking about demonic powers in an individual sense or demonic powers in an an institutional level, Paul's word is clear to us as we find ourselves on this Sunday after the election. And Paul knows the struggle. And so in verse 10, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in 
His mighty power. The powers of the world system are too strong to be overcome by human strength. Whether you're trying to overcome a personal struggle or whether you're trying to address societal issues, the powers are too strong for human strength to overcome. And this is the problem when we're trying to see a world that's marked by justice and see a world that's marked by shalom and to see a world that's marked by healing. Our human strength can only go so far. And so we often think if we can just organize enough, if we can just uh, protest enough, if we can just tweet enough, if we can just vote the right people in office enough, this will change the destructive ways of our culture and lead us into wholeness and healing. But you cannot address the core of an issue if you don't recognize the source of it. And the source of the issue is spiritual in nature. Therefore, the, the solution must be spiritual in nature as well. That is, you cannot fight a spiritual battle with fleshly tactics. And so, yes, we must organize. Yes, we must vote. Yes, we must be involved. But we also must recognize the limitations of all these human actions that we give ourselves to. Because as far as I'm concerned, whether it's the, over the course of this country's history... Or the world for that matter. No matter who is leading and no matter who is in power. We still see the powers and principalities of the world at work. And so Paul sees this. And Paul helps us recognize. That wholeness and healing. Comes in the might and in the power of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's what I want to spend my time focusing on as we think about the spiritual warfare that exists in our country, the spiritual warfare that exists in our families, the spiritual warfare that exists in our world. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why? Because there is an evil one who seeks to deceive. There's an evil one who seeks to lead us into deception. And the powers of evil are deeply at work in the world. And the biggest scheme of the evil one is having us believe that our battle is against flesh and blood. The biggest scheme of the evil one is to convince us that the root problem in the world is not with the evil one. That we can locate someone to scapegoat and say, you are the reason. The world is what it is. And so let me speak a few words about this election. And about this scapegoating mentality. Donald Trump for the past four years. Has often used his power in dehumanizing ways. In ways that have caused more division than unity. In ways that, that have caused dehumanization. And we could argue about what policies have he, that you support and all that. But I'm talking about the rhetoric that has come out has led to more dis, disunity than anything else. And then there were celebrations in the streets in most major cities. And here's the temptation that people are going to have. And I have a word of the Lord for you. 
Many people are going to think that because he is out of office, everything is great now. And I want to tell you that the president of the United States is a symptom of a deeper disease that's at work in all of us and in our society. And just because the symptom goes away doesn't mean the disease is eradicated. Amen, somebody. I feel the spirit now. You can think the symptom is gone. We're okay. The, the disease, it's still there. You feel this in your physical life sometimes. From time to time, the, the symptom goes away. You think, I'm doing all right. I'm feeling better. And the disease is still there. Just because you can't trace it doesn't mean it's still not there. And the disease is thick in this society. Sin runs rampant through all of us. And before, before we think that the Messiah has come yesterday, let's reimagine and rethink our theology here. That this infects every single one of us. And so the powers want you to find a particular place. To pour all of your anger and all of it on it and then say, I'm, I'm good. Now we're ready to go. The world is going to move towards wholeness and ultimate hope now. And so at the core of the problem is discernment and a lack of discernment. I feel the spirit. Now, listen, many of us are relieved. And I want to tell you this here. The church on the left progressive side is going to need greater discernment. Because it's easy to see the rhetoric. It's easy to pay attention to the rhetoric and not see everything else. But if we're going to be a prophetic community and be faithful to Jesus Christ, we're going to need discernment. And so Joe Biden might have wonderful, flowery rhetoric. And not his words don't lead to the kind of divisiveness. But we're going to need discernment, brothers and sisters. To be faithful to the way of Jesus Christ and the way of the kingdom of God. Discernment. But this requires us not to see the ultimate enemy as someone who we see with our eyes. But to see the powers that are at work in the world. Because we often fight the wrong enemy. It was Greg Boyd, a theologian, who said it this way. He said, one of the main reasons... Why we're so quick to engage in human warfare is because we're so slow to engage in spiritual warfare. That in, instead of pillaging the enemy's house and taking it back for God, we pillage each other. But our fight is not against flesh and blood. Jesus understood this. One of the more fascinating portions of Scripture is in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8, where in one moment, G Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah. He says, who am I? He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He says, the father revealed that to you. And then a moment later, he says, I have to go to the cross. I have to suffer. And Peter begins to rebuke Jesus. It says he pulls Jesus to the side. Could you imagine? He pulls Jesus to the side. Jesus, can we have a word? He begins to rebuke the son of the living God. Because Peter did not want to lose control. And Peter wanted to be in great power. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things, not of God, but the things of humanity. In that moment, Jesus saw something that was at work behind Peter. 
He was seeing that Peter was being influenced and seduced by particular powers in the world that are marked by uh, control and domination. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus sees the greater powers at work behind Peter's worldview. And he recognizes that there are impossible fire, uh, uh, battles and we are caught in a crossfire of a battle that we cannot see. And this is important to remember that on a number of levels. It's important to remember this on a personal level. When there's conflict between you and another brother or sister in Christ, Whenever there's conflict, it's important to keep that verse that we just read in mind. Because it's helpful to say and acknowledge that they are not the enemy. They might feel like that there's a deeper enemy at work in the world. And it might be even helpful to begin a conversation in which there is conflict, in which there is disagreement by saying, can we, can we commit and agree to resolve this issue in such a way that the powers of darkness don't win? Could you imagine if we began our conflicts and difficult conversations we had with people? Can we seek to resolve this issue in a way that the powers of darkness don't win? Because there's something deeper at work in the world. And I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one kind of conflict. At the same time, we have to talk about the challenges of the powers on a larger systemic institutional level. And we need to be thinking about this too. There are powers in the world that are active in our country. Demonic powers that find themselves often attached to institutions and ways of thinking, ideologies, and particular postures that deceive, that divide, that marginalize. And these powers are very active, and it's important to name them. When we talk about demonic powers, fallen powers, we're not just talking about the individual ways in which demonic powers tend to manifest in someone's life. And that's another sermon for another time. But I'm talking about the ways they attach to people, to systems, to institutions, to ideologies. And their powers and principalities that work throughout the world. I think about racism as a power. Our country, for all the good that's been done over the years, was founded on the myth of racial superiority. One of the outcomes of sin is the need to exert one's power over another. And when this country was founded, the original sin of this country was the sin of racial superiority. You can't understand the country that we live in right now. And you can't understand the history of this country without honestly seeing that the evil power of racism has been deeply embedded in this country. That it's a destructive way of ordering life that has given advantages to some and disadvantages to others. And this is an outworking of an ideology that's fueled by demonic powers. Which is why one of the reasons it's so hard to talk about matters of race is because it's a demonic power. Why is it so hard to have conversations on racism? Because there's powers and principalities behind it. And so I think about the powers that are at work in racism. I think about the powers and principalities that are at work in sexual abuse and sexual sin. 
Do you know that at any given time, there are 750,000 people online at a given moment looking to sexually exploit children online? When you look at sex trafficking taking place, which was reported to be just a couple of blocks from this building, when you see the porn industry and how it's destroyed men and women and families and children, when you examine the the rapid changes and disorienting changes in sexuality in our culture, there's something at work behind the scenes. When you look at the flippant way that sex and sexuality is approached, you can't help that there's something at work behind the scenes. And so whether it's racism, whether it's sexual abuse and sexual sin, or whether it's politics, the powers are at work in the world. And when it comes to politics and the powers and principalities behind politics, the evil one has two goals in mind. To disconnect you from Jesus and one another. And to have you have your life marked by violence. And the sharp words that you speak and I speak. And the condescension and the sarcasm. And the ways that we have sought to silence people. And hurt people with our words. This These are the powers behind all of this. Friends and families' relationships have been severed. We are deeply suspicious of anyone who doesn't vote like we do. And in the process, we find ourselves operating by the world system. And here's the word for Christians, all of us Christians. Here's the truth. The truth about our relationship with God is this. You can have your soul saved by Jesus but still be caught in a system shaped by Satan. Just because you've had your soul saved by Jesus doesn't mean you and I cannot have ourselves caught in a system shaped by Satan. And this is the reality for Christians all around this world, that there are powers and principalities at work in the world, and we are being played by the powers. When Christians identify first and foremost as Democrats and Republicans, before we identify as Christians, we are being played by the powers. When Christians view other Christians from different political parties as the enemy, we are being played by the powers. When Christians believe that the the only way to peace is to get rid of people who don't see the world like I do, we are being played by the powers. And so the question in all of this, I don't know if you feel it when you go online and feel it with your family and feel it in your body, the powers and principalities that work in the world. The question is, what do we do? How do we respond? How do we live in the way that's faithful to Jesus in a world that's marked and pervaded by powers and principalities? How do we engage the powers that seek to exploit and deceive and divide and marginalize? What shall we say to these things? What do I say to it? I say what Paul said. If God be for us, who can be against us? When you look at the Bible, you begin to see that the core issue is not whether we defeat the powers. That's already been settled. We can't defeat the powers. But Christ can. 
and Christ has. You see, sin is not just something that we do. Sin is a power that humanity is under, a destructive power that humanity is under. And when it comes to sin and the powers, we can't educate ourselves out of its grip. Sin is not eradicated through progressive politicians and progressive policies. Sin is not eradicated through moral conservatism. The antidote to sin is found in a power outside of ourselves. The antidote to sin and the powers and principalities in our world is not found in education, is not found in progressivism, is not found in conservatism, is not found in any of that. It's found in the cross of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul, you should be more excited than that. This is what Paul says in Colossians 2. Colossians 2, let me give you some theology here. Mike, put that up in Colossians 2 for me. The next one. That's not Colossians 2, the next one. Come on, give it to me. You might give it there, there, not the next one, Mike. What I, that's what I want to give you. All right, here it is. This is what has happened on the cross. It says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Something has already happened in Jesus Christ. Something definitive has happened on the cross. The powers have been disarmed, and it is our job as followers of Jesus to, in our words and in our deeds, make practical this foundational truth of the gospel, that the powers have already been disarmed. And so how do we respond? I want to give three very simple invitations for us. How do we respond this week as the divisiveness only increases in our society? How do we live in, in a world marked by that truth, that the powers have already been disarmed by Jesus Christ? The first invitation is to remain in Christ. Remain in him. For many of us, we've been remaining in, this week, in, remaining in CNN. <laughs> remaining in Fox News. Somebody say amen. Remaining in MSNBC. We have been emotionally invested, remaining in all these things. I found myself this past week, every time new stats came out, I, I, I brought out a piece of paper. I was writing down the numbers like I was doing the work on the networks. All right, 3,000 votes. How many was that? 3,000? I'm, I'm counting myself. I was in it this past week. Amen, somebody. I'm not, I'm not alone. <laughs> I was in it. What was it, 300? I was doing math, <laughs> multiplication. <laughs> Amen. Amen, somebody. <laughs> but the invitation for us is to remain in Christ. This past week gives us a good example how to do it. The way that you were remaining in on the news, remain in Christ. Ah, remain in him. Remain in his love. Have your imagination saturated by the gospel. Spend your time with Jesus. You can never give me an excuse that you can't pray. Because this whole week we had plenty of time. And we were making our calculations the entire time. You have time to pray. And I have time to pray. 
I can't find time to read the Bible, Pastor Rich. I just can't find time to read the Bible. You have flip charts in your house. You were drawing maps in your house. You had crayons all out in your house. You have time to read the Bible. Amen. You have time to pray. Amen. You have time to be in silence. Amen. Remain in Christ. Remain in his love. Remain in the Holy Scriptures. Remain in him in solitude. Remain in Christ. The second invitation is to not just remain in him, but to resist the powers. Resist the powers. We can't fight God's way with Satan's tactics. Resist the powers. We can't fight God's way with deception and deceit and, 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 and othering and marginalizing others and gossip. We cannot fight God's way using Satan's techniques. This is why Paul says, after he goes into this, he says, this, is how, this is, should be your wardrobe in this battle. And in Ephesians 13, uh, 6.13, this is what he says. Go to that passage for me. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth. Christians are to be marked by truth. Not deception. Not conspiracy theories. Marked by truth. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's the breastplate of justice. We are working for a world in which right relationships with God and with others are to be manifested. Put your, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We are to be people who contribute to peace, not to further division. We are to be wearing this, the, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. We are to resist the powers in the world by not mirroring the powers. It was Walter Wink who said it this way. He said, evil can be opposed without being mirrored. Oppressors can be resisted without being emulated. Enemies can be neutralized without being destroyed. And so, remain in Christ. Resist the powers. Put on, every morning, we should be putting on that armor of God. Lord, may my life be marked by righteousness. May my life be marked by truth. May my life be marked by peace. May my life be marked by salvation. May my life be marked by the word of God. This is what we should be putting on every single day. Resist the powers. And lastly, remember what Christ has done. Remember what Christ has done. When we think about the problems in the world, we must come back to what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Why? Because it reminds us that transformation of the world cannot come by human strength. Transformation of the world comes by God's strength. And secondly, it fuels us with hope when the powers and principalities of the world feel overwhelming. And here's the reality we all face. Because the world has not yet fully been renewed. We are going to find ourselves in battle after battle after battle. We will find ourselves disconnecting from others. Find ourselves using our words and our actions with violence. We will find ourselves being co-opted by the powers and principalities. Battles in your home. 
battles with your family, battles with your neighbors, battles with everyone on social media. And every time you are tempted to give up and say the world is going to hell in a handbasket, remember what Christ has done. Because the evil powers may be strong, but God is stronger. The evil powers might be active, but God is more active. The evil powers might have some power, but God, amen, is the all-powerful one. And so let me leave you, brothers and sisters, with this thought on what Jesus said about the powers and principalities in the world. In John chapter 10, Jesus says about Satan, that the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the most important word in that verse is not the word steal. The most important word in that verse is not the word kill. The most important word in that verse is not destroy. The most important word that we are to pay attention to in John chapter 10 is the word came. Why? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Why is that the most important word? He came to steal. He came to kill. He came to destroy. And here's why it's the most important word. Just because he came doesn't mean he can. Oh, I, just because he came to do it doesn't mean he can do it. Why? Because Christ is the risen Lord. Why? Because Christ has already disarmed the powers. Why? Because Christ is a resurrected one and the evil powers have met their match in him. And so be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. Amen. And amen. Let's pray together. Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to close your eyes. Remember what Christ has done. Resist the powers. Remain in him. Lord, we confess that we have often contributed to the challenge and reality that we find in the world today. And as followers of Jesus, may our lives be marked by confession, repentance, compassion, justice, truth, mercy, love. May we be different than the world. May New Life Fellowship be different from the world. May we be a species of its own kind, confounding left and right and middle and finding our identity from the center of God's life. May we be a people marked by wholeness, peace, forgiveness. Lord, teach us as individuals and as the church 
not to let the world dictate when we should speak truth. And help us so as not to let the world dictate when we show mercy and grace. Like Jesus, may we be full of grace and truth in this pained and troubled world. And we look to you, Jesus, as the ultimate healer, the one who will one day make all things new. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Let me invite you to stand. those of you watching online at the end of our service, as we always do, we have our virtual lobby and a prayer ministry available. And so if you want someone to pray for you, feel free to just go on newlife.nyc, click on there. Maybe you're grieving today. Maybe you find yourself struggling with relationships with family members. Maybe your life has been marked by disconnecting or violence, and it has just corrupted your soul, and you need someone to pray for you, feel free to click on one of those links, and we'd love to pray with you and serve you any way we can. And then for some of you in this room or watching online, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus Christ, to pledge your allegiance to Jesus Christ, to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Maybe something has been aching in your soul and you're like, I, I've tried everything, but nothing satisfies. I want to invite you to trust in Jesus Christ. And very simply, whether you're in the room or watching online, you can just text yes to Jesus at that number. And one of our pastors will be in touch with you. And we'd love to serve you however we can as you seek to start this journey of pledging allegiance to Christ, following him, making a decision for him. In a moment after I bless you all, you can have a seat. Pastor Jackie will come up and she'll give some instructions. As I said, I'll be on the front porch there and uh, we'd love to just say goodbye quickly to you all before you head out. No worries if you can, if you have to head out. Uh, but she'll come up so you can have a seat there. For those of you watching online and everyone in this room, I want to bless you as we close. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We open our hands so that we can receive, so that we might give to the world. The world is marked by cursing. The world is marked by demonizing. The world is marked by disconnection. May we be a people marked by peace and love and truth and justice and mercy and compassion. And may we offer the very presence of Christ to the people we encounter this week. With your hands and your hearts in the posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the truth that Jesus Christ is alive. And may you be the very presence of Christ in a world that's inundated with powers and principalities. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I bless you all in the strong and the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.